0: Welcome to Talking Giants Boys and Girls. Got a special episode today. I'm your host Bobby Skinner here with my co-host Danny King. Danny, you're back. We're going to do about 30 minutes and then we're going to kick it to Justin and Anthony. Man, it's I tell you what, Danny, I sound better. I I still I got the same microphone as you thanks to your recommendation and it's it's good to have you back on and to uh to catch up.
1: I mean it's a great mic. It's a cheap mic you could get on Amazon for like 100 bucks. But no, it it is good to be back. It's been like what? I don't know, like like been a month, two months, I don't know at this point, but two months basically cuz I mean the season ended around like January and then a week
0: in the January, where a week in the March. So so I'd say about two months clean.
1: Yeah, but it it's good to be back. This is a a fun episode idea. A Little half hour split. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and you know, we're doing this, you know, full disclaimer on Wednesday. Uh, we're really hoping the Giants don't do any breaking news. Like I'm, I told you, Danny, before this show that I was. Expe- I'm. Ex- I'm just expecting Landon or Landon Leonard Williams to get franchise tagged, and be like, okay, well, we can't do this fun episode. But I will say, Danny, we were close to it because Alex Tanney got um, his option picked up. So
1: Alex Tanney is back, baby. The I can't sh- believe you took the time to do this episode. That's major news.
0: <laughs> the number one mentor, Alex Tanney, and some people are actually mad. But Alex Tanney's back, baby. He's going to be a mentor. In all seriousness, though, it's kind of like a no-brainer move. You bring four QBs in the camp, you let them compete with whoever. Uh, do you think, Just Danny, though, We we at this time of year, last year, we didn't think Alex Tanny was going to be on the 53-man roster. Do, do you think he makes it?
1: I, I 100% think he makes it because... He sounded like he was a good person to have in that QB room with Eli and, Dan, uh, and Daniel, and that was obviously with Pat Shermer. so I don't know what Joe Judge thinks about him. But there's nothing wrong with keeping a veteran like Tanny on the roster. I know he's a journeyman. He hasn't had anything special. But, I mean, he his completion with the Giants in the regular season is 100% because he completed that one pass. A living Giants legend with that, so I got no complaints with bringing Tanny back. There, there's no, no downside to it. If he gets cut in camp, nothing happens to us. If he stays on the team, nothing happens to us. There, there's nothing wrong. Now, obviously, if Daniel Jones gets hurt, it's not like, we, oh, we have Eli to go to. It's Alex Tanney. So it, we'll, we'll cross that bridge if that ever comes.
0: Yeah. He was the first QB to play after Eli Manning's last snap. Think about that. And he's 100% completion percentage. Can't complain about that. But in all seriousness, what we're going to do today is, Danny, you just put out a six-part plan uh, blog for Giants Free Agency. And I liked it because every other one uh, that people are writing articles and blogs, Danny, is uh, the Giants should get Jadavion Clowney, Corey Littleton, Byron Jones, and Jack Conklin? Like I, people are like I think I'd be cool with that if they got all the best players. And it's like so mind numbing. That, that's like, shocking. It doesn't take any thought. So when I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I had to go and look at um, what's the guy, Patrick Onwuse, or however you pronounce the Ravens linebacker's name. And then it's like, oh, we forgot about Coleman. So I want to go through that and we'll talk through each one of them. But Danny, you did start off with a big name, obviously, and that's Byron Jones. And I'm I'm big on this as well. Like, what do you like about Byron Jones, and why do you view him as number one target for Giants and free agency?
1: Oh, I, I put him as the number one target because I looked at our cornerback situation, DeAndre Baker. I'm a fan of him. I think he will take the jump this year. But then you look behind DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, someone that if you're an OG listener, I was saying Sam Beal is the real deal. He came in, he was not good at all. He had a very bad season, and I don't feel confident right now putting him out there next to DeAndre Baker. Byron Jones is someone that, if you look at the tape, he is a quality cornerback. He's a guy who gets the job done. Like I watched his game against, uh, I forgot what who it was, it was DeAndre Hopkins. He had some good pass breakers against DeAndre Hopkins, I think, two years ago. And then last year, he was a solid cornerback for the Cowboys it's a no brainer sign. in. I know he's going to be asking for like what, 16, 18 million. That's something you're going to have to pay him. And the John's going to be in a lot of competition. I think he stays in the East. I say it's between us and the Eagles. And if we have to overpay Byron Jones, he's someone I'm fine with overpaying.
0: You know, we're going to put all these, these contracts together, which a lot of people aren't doing in their free agency plan. They're just saying the best players. And that's why I liked it and come up to what, what that total would probably look like. And I saw, I'm highballing all of them. Um, Byron Jones would probably, let's, let's say he gets 18 million. Uh, we've talked, I mean, me and Justin just talked about the, you know, the cap space not being a big deal. We have plenty of it and we just, you have to overpay. And corner is such a hard position and Byron Jones has been good. I went and watched him uh, a couple weeks ago. It's like, I like okay. Like, cause I, I don't want to go too deep into like, you know, studying film on all these free agents. Cause you know, 90% of the market ended up on our team, but Byron Jones, because corner, you can't really look at stats and stuff like that. And advanced numbers I'm like, I want to go watch him. Because, you know, maybe they're not throwing him because the the opposite corner is so bad. Byron Jones is a good man. I watched him against Michael Thomas. Um, he balled out in that game. I watched him against Devontae, uh, the Packers. He balled out in that game. I mean, he's really good. And then the advanced stats match it up, Danny. I mean, he had 80 targets or, or 64 targets in 2019. That was the lowest in the league. That was the lowest rate for, per snap. And... On the 64 targets, he only gave up 53.1 percent completion percentage, 390 uh, 395 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he flat out just dominated guys and shut down a side of the field. It's hard for people to get on it, and I get that because he doesn't have the interceptions. He doesn't have like the playmaker plays, and I get that because part of me wants to like, man, what, I wish there were some uh, numbers to to like you know show this. But I think he's a really good shutdown corner. I think the only reason he's available is because of like, the cap space situations the Cowboys are in because they've had so many good young players that have to sign like Jalen Smith and Zeke and Dak eventually. But I will say I would like to him to have more, more than, uh, more than one, uh, two interceptions in five seasons.
1: That that was something I was looking at at stats. I'm like, geez, that's not a good stat. But you have to look at it also on the horizon. The Giants are not going to be in a position to get Jeff Okuda, the best cornerback in this draft. Say he does drop, I, I they still need linebacker help, and they need offensive lineman help, in my opinion. And you can't pass on Isaiah Simmons if he's there or if he's gone. You got maybe Makai Beckton, Jed- Jedrick Willis. So you got to go after a corner free agency. It's a must. And Byron Jones is the top guy out there. And the Giants have the cap space to give him the contract he wants and deserves. So we'd be stupid to not go out there and attempt to sign him. Now maybe he looks at the team and doesn't want to go here, but the Giants have to be active on Byron Jones and bring him in because he will boost his secondary tremendously. Because as you all know, the secondary last year was horrendous, and bringing him in makes this secondary better like tenfold. It's, it's he is the guy to bring in.
0: Yeah, I I really like him. And and I just want to like quickly go through his like his uh stats according to playerprofile.com. I know sometimes these are a little different, but his uh, Pro Football Reference and Player Profiler is off by like two two games or two two catches. Against us, you know, Latimer one catch for 22 yards. Terry McLaurin actually had a pretty good game on 10 targets. He had five catches, 62 yards. Still, that's a 50% catch rate, which is not good. Michael Thomas Three for 29 against Miami. Didn't give up anything. Uh, Green Bay. I think Devontae Adams was actually out that game. Uh, three for 46. Uh, the Jets, Robbie Anderson, two for nine. The Eagles, Alshon Jeffrey, zero, zero. Slayton, two for 35 in that second meeting. That was, you know, one of Slayton's like worst, worst games because he was kind of getting like coming into a, a rhythm at that point. Stephon Diggs, two for 21. Kenny Galladay, zero, you know, zero catches on one target. You know, Kyler Harry had four for 44, but it was on 10 targets. John Brown, three for 27. We saw how good John Brown was in week two. Allen Robinson, two for 10. We saw Allen Robinson torch us. Brandon Cooks, five for 46. And then the Eagles in week 16 against J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. So nothing to brag there. Zero for zero. I mean, he's freaking shut down shut guys down. He's 27 and a half years old. He's he's big. He's got, you know, nice uh, arm length. He's six-one, one ninety-nine. 199. I just... I really like Jones, and I think he should be the Giants' number one target. So I I, I fully agree with you on this front.
1: Cornerback is a must, and he's the, arguably the best cornerback out there. He, he needs to be the number one target.
0: Like you said, cornerback is a need, not necessarily because like we have Ballantyne. we have Sambio, who you know struggled, but wasn't wasn't too bad. Although he was bad, bad in his times. DeAndre Baker, who we get approved, but we just kind of need a veteran, and that was you know. You know, remember when, when I was in New York, when we cut Janoris Jenkins, you know how hard I kicked against that. We kind of need a veteran. And then why not just go out and get the best guy? So I like with your big money, you went at uh, Byron Jones. So that's so that's 18 million. So next on the list, just or
1: Dan, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm leaving the show. I'm quitting. I'm sorry. I'm,
0: I did it to Justin, too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> next, uh, next on this list, Corey Coleman, the forgotten guy. He, he was at a one-year $720,000 contract, which is you know the league minimum last year, so I expect him to get that. Danny, why do you think the Giants should bring back Coleman off of torn ACL?
1: You said it right there. Corey Coleman, he unfortunately tore his ACL. He's not in position to bargain for a good contract. Now, obviously, he's going to go out there looking for other ones, but the Giants, there's the rumor out there that they're going after DeMarcus Robinson. DeMarcus Robinson, to me, is not a game-changer wide receiver that deserves a four-year contract that is being put out there. Corey Coleman is a guy that when he was in there in 2018, he made plays on offense. He was a great kick return guy for us. It, Giants would be silly to not even bring Coleman in just to see how much the ACL is affecting him. Because he's a quality wide receiver when given the right opportunity. He hasn't been in the best spots. Cleveland, we all saw what went down there when he went to uh, Hugh Jackson and said, yo, I want to get out of this town. Buffalo never really gave him the chance. The Giants gave him the chance that when he was in there, I saw potential of Coleman. You could bring him in on a one-year deal, and if it doesn't work out, you're not going to lose much. He's got to get the, the minimum again because of the torn ACL, and if you caught him, you caught him. You, you just go on your merry way. There's nothing wrong with bringing Coleman in because you've got Shepard slated. Tate is your number three wide receiver. I don't—Robinson's probably going to be the four at the the minimum, unless, like, injuries or maybe another suspension happens. Who knows? Coleman's the guy to bring in, and as I said, he's cheap. Everyone loves a cheap player. Bring Coleman back.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's literally, there's no risk at all with it. And surprisingly, Danny, he's been in the league four years. He's only 25 years old. Like, he's still really young. I mean, he was a first-round pick, so there's talent there. It just hasn't seemed to click. And like you said, when he did get that little bit of time in 2018 with the Giants, it's like, okay, like, we see a little bit of what he is. Like, can be, like, a, a vertical threat for us? And like you said, there's just no reason to not bring him back. And like, you, and Demarcus Robinson, there's no reason to bring him in unless you're planning on moving on from Golden Tate. That's the only way I see bringing in a, a wide receiver who actually costs money is if you're planning on moving on from Golden Tate. That's the only way. Because if you bring Demarcus Robinson in, like you said, he's going to be the fourth wide receiver. You're going to give a decent contract to the fourth wide receiver. I get that there's injuries to the Shep and, and Tate that missed the game here and there. But yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. He's got speed. Um, he can do kick return. And like you said, there's, there's zero risk with this. So I'm I'm all on board on this one. The next one, Danny, was a surprising one. Uh, a guy I hadn't really thought about. Carlos Hyde. Uh, SpotRex has his market value at $3 million. He made $1.9 last year. But like I said, we're going to highball this. So I'm going to say $3 million. He was kind of in a rut in uh, 2017. He had 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, had almost a thousand yards on a bad San Francisco team, but still, we like we you know I railed on Goldman. He should have more than that. And then 2018, he went from Cleveland and then was traded to Jacksonville, and he only had you know uh like like 500 yards, 3.3 and a half yards per carry, just bad. And people were completely down on him. He goes to Houston though. Danny had a good season. He had over a thousand yards on 4.4 yards per carry. He put the ball in the end zone six times. Um, he's not much of a receiving threat. He only had 10 catches for 42 yards, which you know, a lot of times you want to see out of your backup guy. But we do need to have a backup for, for Saquon. And I don't know if you can draft a guy late in the sixth round because there is running backs I like in there, but expect him to come into that backup role right away. I I feel like that's too much pressure. And then if Saquon gets injured again, we can't just be completely just left for dead like we were. Like Gallman was okay in the Washington game, but he wasn't really that good. He had less than four yards for carry. And then when he went down, I mean, it was just absolutely abysmal. So I I, I like the idea of Hyde. There might be other guys out there that I might like more than Hyde, but I like the idea of Hyde.
1: There's definitely probably better guys out there. But when I saw Hyde, what he did in Houston, I said and looked at his contract. I'm like, Giants, this is something they could do, especially with that cap space. I, I know Lamar Miller was injured, and that's what allowed him to have this good season. But as you said, Wayne Gallman, he fell out of favor of Pat I know this is Joe Judge, but Joe Judge doesn't have great tape on Gallman, especially last year, that one good Washington game. And then he has to see what our running game brought. And it was just abysmal. When Saquon wasn't in, it just nothing was going. When Saquon was in, but he wasn't 100%, the, the running game was still non existent. Carlos Hyde is someone you could bring in. And if you need to put him in there, give Saquon a breather, He's a quality guy to trust. And as you said, with the draft, the Giants aren't in a position to go in the second round and draft like a running back. They need uh, they have different positions they need to address. running back is someone in free agency that you could get easily. Carlos High is a quality guy. As you said, there could be other guys out there. I'm down for anyone as a backup running back. I love Gallman, but unfortunately, he just doesn't seem to be the guy that can we, we can rely on to back up Saquon week in and week out. And God forbid Saquon goes down again. He doesn't seem like the guy we can fully trust out there.
0: Yeah, and I get flack for hating on Gallman. I'm just not sold on him. I don't think he is what a backer running back should be, and especially a backup running back for Saquon. Carlos Hyde brings a little more of that power. Getting a guy like Hyde is a good one, although I'd like to get someone with a little more receiving ability. I really haven't looked at the free agency marketing for tailback yet. I haven't put together my my six-step plan, um, which is going to be, I'm going to go Jadavion Clowney, Byron Jones.
1: Get Yannick uh, in there, get Yannick in there.
0: Corey Littleton will trade for Yannick. And why not? I'll, I'll agree with you. We'll bring Coleman back. I, I, I like that. <laughs> uh, now the next one, very controversial. Although we, this guy is going to be on the Giants. out of Out of these, out of these six, this is the one. It's like, okay, this is definitely happening. Leonard Williams, Spotrac has his market value at eight point two million. Danny, I, I, uh, I'm highballing this one. I'm putting this one at thirteen mil. I think we will just highball it. I'm not saying he's going to get thirteen mil, but let's just say thirteen mil. Obviously, the trade is super controversial. You know, me and you talked about that endlessly, uh, Danny. But he's a really good player. They have to bring him back just for optics because of because of trading picks for him. And I just, I just think with with cap not being really an issue for the Giants, it's it's a no-brainer. It's it's a no-brainer because of the optics and and, and the fact that they trade for him. They have to bring him back. And the whole comp pick stuff because you know, Gettleman he was wrong about this where he said, okay, we'll, we'll get a comp pick for him if we don't resign him. That's only if we don't, like, you know, sign big-name players. So Byron Jones would cancel out that comp pick. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thoughts on Leonard Williams?
1: Yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. You, you traded for him. You gave up your third-round pick, a, a quality pick that you can find someone there. You got to bring him back. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's no reason why John should not bring him back. I know his stats aren't amazing, but he at times he was able to get closer to QB, cause pressure— and he just helped out this defensive line. He helped out uh, Dexter Lawrence. Dallin Thomas was, again, a double team as much as he was in the beginning of the season, it felt like. It's a no-brainer to bring him back. I, I know fans hate him. I know fans hate Dave Gellman for the trade. But if Dave, if Dave Gellman truly felt he did not have a chance in free agency to get him, that he was going to go somewhere else, at that point, you just got to roll with the dice. And obviously, I, I would assume... He's gonna get the franchise tag if they don't reach that long-term deal before the deadline passes. So he's gonna be a giant no matter what. You're gonna to have to accept that Leonard Williams will be a giant. But I guarantee you, we will see an improvement from Leonard Williams this year. I was muted. My bad. Yeah, it's that new. It's that new mic grind. It's that new <laughs> well, Mike no, grind. It's fa- I'm back on Skype. I tell you what. This as much as.
0: Super unprofessional. That, listen, this is like kind of like a throwback episode. That's a throwback for the listeners. Me yeah, walking into a microphone that is muted. It <laughs> um, happened I, all the time. I know. Feels good. Feels good to be back. Um, <laughs> yeah. Leonard Williams, you have to bring him back. Uh, now, next on the list, um, one who I haven't watched, but I went and talked to some of my Minnesota people and asked about him, Anthony Harris. Now, he's uh, his market value is at $13.8 million. Danny, why would you want to bring in a free safety like Anthony Harris?
1: Uh, Antoine Buffet right there off the bat I'm, I I looked for free safety mark I'm like can Antoine Buffet cannot be our free safety. He was brought in because of his uh, familiarity with James Betcher and his scheme. It clearly it was it did not work. It was horrendously bad. So you got to bring a guy like Anthony Harris. He's young. He had a good year in Minnesota. 60 tackles, 6 inter, interceptions, 11 passes defended. He's what the Giants need at free safety. A ball hawk who is a good guy in coverage, and he can get the job done. Tim and Jabril Peppers, I can see that being a deadly duo. Antoine Buffet was downright awful. You can't rely on him to come back and maybe have a bounce-back year. Antoine Buffet is on the back nine of his career. It's only a downhill from here. Uh, maybe he goes to a different team. Maybe the Giants do cut him, and he finds his stride again. Good for what about him. Julian Love, though? Julian – see, that's another interesting thing right there when I was thinking about this pick. I like Julian Love. And maybe the Giants do feel he's the guy to put at free safety. But obviously, what if uh, Patrick Graham wants someone that he knows is a uh, good free safety that he can put in there and will make plays right away? That sounds like Julian Love, he made good plays, but who knows how far he has he progressed. Or what if Judge and Graham don't like what they see on Love? If you can't get Harris, don't go after your free safety. You stick with Julian Love and you put all your... You put all your money on him. You believe he's the guy. But if you can get Anthony Harris, you get him.
0: Yeah. Free safety, I think, is one of the most complicated positions on this team because of Julian Love. I mean, you know, he was a corner. And, Danny, I remember I remember ranting to you. Is like, why can't they just pick a position for this guy and let him play it? Like, why are they, you know, playing? Like, he was practicing a safety, and then the first preseason game, he's starting at nickel. The thing is, Danny, is we never got to see Julian Love play free safety except for the Bears game for half a game because Jabril Peppers got hurt. And... They moved him to strong safety. And it's like, okay, like, but Peppers is going to be our strong safety in the box. And they played Love in that. And he, Love played really good in that, but we want to know how he's going to be as a free safety. I think, you know, signing a free safety allows uh, you to move Love maybe instead of Nickel, which is a big question mark on this team. Like, uh, Corey Ballantyne. Corey Ballantyne's another like question. Like, he's, you know, he's an outside corner, but he played Nickel. I think he's got talent, but he also needs, like, he's raw and he needs to work on it. So, like, Corner and and free safety are really just like a very confusing position on this team right now, um. So I don't, I just don't know what you do with love if you uh, bring in a guy like this. But at the same time, I've said, don't if there's a free safety you like, and you love him, don't let Julian Love be stop you from getting that guy. So I will say that. But as far as Anthony Harris, the player, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I haven't watched him a ton, but from what my Minnesota people say. He was really good. I mean, he was a ball hawk. He can move around. He, You know, he plays deep. He could come make plays on the run. He's 6'1", 202. But Mike Zimmer did say that out of the 11 positions on his defense, the free safety is the least important. So that is kind of weird. And then, you know, you see like a guy like Anderson. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Andrew
1: Sandejo. Andrew
0: Sandejo. Completely off. And kind of. I had the Aho. ho <laughs> And Sandejo. <laughs> Like he was really good and he wasn't great for the Eagles this year. So he's like, okay, like, you know, he was I mean, he was really good with Minnesota. I mean, you got to play next to a safety like Harrison Smith. And then, you know, we know that Vikings team has tons of playmakers, so you know, a free safety in that and that scheme could kind of have their way. But uh, for what he was in Minnesota, he was a really good player. So I I, I like this one. And then last on your list pisses me off for one, Danny, because I'm not gonna be able to pronounce this right.
1: It's you, Raven- you can't just imagine how hard it was for me.
0: Yeah, that's true. You are the worst with names. Ravens inside linebacker Patrick uh, Un- Unwaser. It's probably something like Unwaser. It's O N W U A S O R. Spotrac has him at 4.8 million. You know, six foot two twenty seven. He's twenty seven years old. He he's been productive for the Ravens, Danny. But I mean, explain explain why you're getting him an inside linebacker when he hasn't been a name that anyone's brought brought up.
1: Well, I looked at it at the fact that this is, this is how my mind of the offseason is going. The Giants are going to draft Isaiah Simmons. I believe he gets the four, and the Giants are going to draft him. You, you get a quality linebacker, but then you look over next to him. You got Ryan Connolly. I love Ryan Connolly. But ha- how much has his ACL injury affected him? How much has his game di- uh, digressed or degressed? I have whatever the word is there. I, I'm not sure how much the Giants can trust him. I know you got Corey Littleton out there, but why should we go out there and pay Corey Littleton a huge contract if you hopefully get Isaiah Simmons and then you got Ryan Connolly? Corey Littleton, I mean, you could put him there at Connolly, but it feels like a waste of Connolly. Owana Seor is someone that has proven good stats, and he's someone you could give a cheap deal. You don't give him a two-year deal. It's something that, in my opinion, just makes perfect sense because linebacker it's a, a position in dire need, but I don't think we need to go out there and Corey Littleton. Or say you miss out on Isaiah Simmons, you do everything you can to get Zach Bond out of Wisconsin. So I think you bring in or Patrick. Patrick
0: Clean or Murray from, yeah, like, there's, there's good there's, inside linebackers to be had. Yeah,
1: there's so many good inside linebackers to be had. I don't feel the need to go out there and spend a crazy amount on Corey Littleton. You get Patrick, you either get Isaiah or one of the quality inside linebackers in this year's draft, you put them together. And hopefully Magic blossoms out of this because linebackers have been bad. Al Golgothry can't cover tight ends. Hopefully we're seeing a, a transition back to some giant linebackers that, like, scare defense. Because these past few years, we have not had those guys.
0: I watched um, 30 snaps of his against the Chiefs. Um, I say that. I didn't, like, count how many snaps. But I, had, I watched about 30 snaps before this pod to see who he was he seems like kind of a guy, but I get what you're saying. If you're just giving him like a two year, you know, $10 million deal was a hurt with the cap space we have. But I say, if we're giving out a contract like that, and you mentioned this, I, I would go with Sean Lee. I get he has injury problems, but I think he's a guy who plays very similar to Ryan Connolly and can help Ryan Connolly come along. Not as a coach, but like, Hey, you coming back a little slower from your injury. Um, and, but like you said, if, we're, if this is with the assumption that they jaft Isaiah Simmons, uh, you're not going to go out and get like a guy like Corey Littleton. So, and I think who, what the giants do it linebacker, um, and, in free agency could like point like, Hey, they're going to go get a guy like Isaiah Simmons. So, um, I would probably go with, um, Sean Lee, if we're going to be paying this kind of money for just a guy, but I, I get what you're saying. He also, I mean, he lost, he's he, now he played a lot, but he did lose his starting job. Um, after week six, you know, he still rotated in and had, you know, decent numbers with three sacks and tackles for a loss and, and, you know, 64 total tackles. And he, he was all right, but you know, I don't know enough about him to totally judge him. But I, if this was the one where like, I'd, I'd probably go Sean Lee if you're paying that kind of money. Danny, this makes the total out to forty-eight million dollars. Let's say that the Giants need uh, ten million dollars to get their draft picks. That's fifty-eight. So at this present moment, that would save the Giants would have seventeen million left over in cap space. Gettleman says you want to have about twenty left over, although. You know, he might just be saying that I think you want to have maybe like 10 mil left over because there's no one going to be need that big of a contract. So I like this plan. I think it was the, it's honestly, Danny. And, you know, I don't blow smoke. I think out of all this stuff you've done, I thought it was a good piece. and I thought it was the most reasonable because it wasn't like just go get all the best players. And I, I mean, I can't stand those tweets that are like, just get all of the friggin best players. Uh,
1: you can't get it. It's impossible.
0: And I think Byron Jones is the least risky. Now, maybe I don't know much about. I don't know much about him personally. But like Clowney, like there's people like he might just take off. And I will say this, Danny. You know what scares me about Clowney the most? Not injuries. Who reported that the Colts and the Giants have interest in Clowney? <laughs> Justina Anderson. <laughs> Do not be friends with him and or her. And <laughs> did you see the interview Justina, had with Chase Young? I mean, she was trying so hard to be friendly. And I'm like, and I'm like Chase. If you're going to the Redskins, be best friends with her. But if somehow you're going to fall to us at four, please don't let Josina be in your life because she is. I mean, the Eagles fans are going through it right now. They can't
1: stand her because she wrecks players.
0: Well, it's no, it's she just she just amplifies jerks, you know, like Alshon Jeffrey who just rips like Wentz. and then she just is like a mouthpiece for them. And I guess I guess that's she's doing what she's paid to do. But my gosh, she. She, I do not want her back around the Giants. It was it was so nice having her away this year. Like, Go go hang out with the Browns and Miles Garrett and Odell. Don't Stay stalk w-
1: our players' lockers, all right?
0: Stay away from us. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Danny, before we close it out, because I wanted this episode to be a little more a surprise, I asked our guy, Isaac Moretta, to leave us a mailback question. So let's take a break, and let's kick it to Steve from Blue's Clues.
2: Mail time. Mail time.
3: Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail.
0: Mail! Thanks, Steve, from Blue's Clues. Danny, let's get into the mail.
1: Our mail question it's comes from... Man i <laughs> i isaac moretta at Barugal underscore poppy 20 he asked what's up fellas i had a question for you guys with free agency lumen let's play doomsday what is the worst possible outcome for you guys this off season on the free agency front bobby what is your worst possible outcome
0: okay so this would this would be it it would be the giants going out and getting two big contract guys it would be jack conklin who i just think sucks so that just in itself, and then it would be getting a guy like Jadavian Clowney, who I like Clowney. I would be ru- I would I would be thrilled if we got a guy like Clowney, but then he just gets hurt, and he's like hurt eight games a year, and he's not an effort guy, and he's he's a pain in the butt, and he's best friends with Josie Anderson. So getting those two guys and those situations playing out, I feel like it just can't get any worse than that.
1: Danny, can you talk me? No, I mean that um exactly with you because. Dave Gellman, this is kind of feels like a make it or break it year for Dave Gellman. My worst here is that he feels the pressure. He goes out there and just full on chucks money at players, just full on. He's like, uh, Jay Davion, get over here. He's like, maybe he's like Jacksonville, give me Yannick. He just gives away everything just to save face. Jadavion, as you said, the guy that he gets injured all the time, not all the time, but he's injured, he has an injury history. He's not someone that I would feel confident bringing in. I know he's a quality player, but the injury history is there and that scares me. You don't need to save shit, but you you need to get good guys, but don't go out there and spend all our money like it's the end of the world get the quality guys that fill the position I think that's what judge is gonna do he's gonna be like Dave let's get the quality guys that fill the position let's not get the big name guys and chuck all the money at them and lose out on some decent mid-tier players you gotta play it safe play it smart don't go out there chuck money at players get the guys that make sense don't go out there and give Corey Littleton that huge contract if you're gonna draft Isaiah Simmons and just that doesn't make sense play it smart play it safe don't go bananas trying to fix this team Dave Gellman I like
0: Clowney but just pairing him like Clowney there's a lot of risk involved although he's only missed six games in the last four years you know uh, Dan Snyder made a good point to me he's like he's only missed six games but he's also played through a lot of injuries I get that some people have said he kind of is a low effort guy so I I, I don't know I I don't watch him enough to say for sure but yeah that would be that while I like I said I would like Clowney but he does—he does scare me most out of the guys that were available, including Ngakwe. Like I, I like Clowney probably more than Ngakwe, but Ngakwe I would have felt a lot more safer with
1: than Clowney. But you know what they say, uh, Danny: no guts, no glory. Exactly. Um, or if you want to talk about like extremely worst possible outcome, Giants don't franchise tag Leonard Williams and he just hits open market at least yes, uh, Yeah,
0: yeah. Now a lot of people just be like, "Good, cut your losses." But I just—you just can't do it. That'd be a um, nightmare mercenary. Leonard Williams for 22 million. That would be. It. But we, we gotta go realistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Brady. How about that? That was so dumb. And oh my Lord. Danny, this is something um that uh me and you were very good about. And i, I know, I'll I'll take a shot at Justin. I told cool. Justin, I'm not playing the rumor game. You know, every episode would be all, and he, and he, I, you know, I was like, if you want to talk about rumors, talk about them. But I was like, we're not going to go through every freaking rumor on the show, or or else we're talking about Tom Brady going to the
1: Giants. <laughs> I, I love that whole scenario. And then when it said Tom Brady and Giants are not going to happen, it's like, what made you say that one? It's like, <laughs> Tom Brady's not coming here to start. He's coming here to backup. Don't even tell me he's starting here.
0: There's two things that made me be like, all right, no more rumors. Was one was the Russell Wilson to the Giants last year, and we did talk about that. I
1: did believe that one.
0: <laughs> so I didn't even believe that one, but I was like, but I had the conversation because it was in the news and I was like arguing with Giants fans. of like, of course I would trade a, uh, a first round pick for Russell Wilson, which I would have. But it was the fact that we were having that argument. It was like, you know what? I'm not going to have the, an argument about stuff that's not going to happen anymore. And and me and Justin got into this on an episode or two ago. On draft day last year, Danny, we heard the, the Giants are going to pick Daniel Jones and we heard that Gelman is all in on defense at six. So it's like, I don't, I just don't believe anything unless it comes from Dan. Dug- if it comes from people who don't just throw out rumors like Dan Duggan, then, then I, I if Dan Duggan says, this is a rumor, then I'm going to take it serious. But other than that, I just, and it's not even like no offense to like people that we like that do it, but I just, I'm just not going to play the rumor game, especially cool. when people will talk about Dan, Dan Soleo, that the guy who, um, he has the show down in Miami played in the NFL.
1: People were talking about him and I was like, This guy's literally a troll and people still will talk about his rumors. Or you believe every if Jay Glazer says something about the giants, you you take that at face value and you believe it's gonna happen.
0: Yes, Jay Yes. If Jay Glaser, Jay Glazer says a rumor, I just admit that rumor is is fact. It's not yeah. even like talk about it as a rumor, it's talking about it as fact. Him saying Gettleman wasn't safe made me like, Okay, uh that's why I was saying Gettleman was gonna get fired.
1: <laughs> if he says we're taking Tua, believe in it. Yeah. Please don't say that, Jake Laser. <laughs> yeah. All right. The time has come.
0: There's still another half of the show, but mine and Danny's time is done. We appreciate you guys. Leave a review. Want to know why? Because someone left a one-star review, Danny, and it wasn't nice. You didn't want to know what it said? What did it and say, Bobby? Now, since it was the most recent review, it's right on the front page. Hold on. I'm going to pull it up. This was not nice at all. By Giants Blue, it says Clown Joe. This guy Skinner is some clown who acts like he covers the team. Knows nothing. Go back to mommy's basement. All right. I'm getting tired. The basement joke is the most overplayed one. And you know what? We don't have basements in Florida, dummy. You know what? I live in my own house. And I've got like three friggin' jobs, okay? I own a small company. I work a full-time job. And you know what? I, I get a little side cash from this too. So suck it. Uh, Giants blue, you're a clown. Anyways, and you know what? I, I'm a fan, and I'm smarter than you. I just know that I'm smarter than that guy so that left the room. This is back
1: to like the Giant Jeff situation. <laughs> we got to turn this guy back in our favor.
0: Giant Jeff is honestly he's one of my favorite followers because he's a big critic, but he gives credit where it's credit due, and he likes when we screw like like you know pissing in the snow. Like some people are like that's so immature. He's like I like that. Um, so you know Giant Jeff is our guy. Um, and he'll be glad to hear from you. Um, and like the. I mean, there was a few people who were just like, this show sucks without Danny. Um, I miss Danny King. So this is your episode to to get to hear Danny's beautiful voice again.
1: Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: I don't know what I'm supposed to say there, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Follow Danny at Danny King NFL. Make sure to check out his weekly blogs. We usually put them out on Monday, sometimes other times. Uh, We appreciate you all. Until the next segment of the show, let's go Big Blue. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast.
1: Whoa. Ah.
2: All right. Thank you, Bobby and Danny, for the first half of Talking Giants. And welcome, everybody, to the second half of Talking Giants. My name is Justin Pennick, and with me for the first time appearing for his first time and making his Talking Giants debut, Anthony Tomano Anthony, how are you doing on this fine evening?
3: I'm really good, Justin. How are you, buddy?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I uh, remember that ankle that I told everybody about earlier in the week, how I <laughs> fell at Wawa. I twisted my ankle, didn't get a sandwich, I was putting air in my tires. And I said that my ankle was fine. Well, now I figured out that now my ankle hurts me again for whatever reason. And I'm a little upset by it, but it's okay. I'm going to see Celine Dion on this Sunday. So I'm very (laughs) happy to see Celine Dion.
3: That is amazing. You realize you're an 80-year-old man, right? I'm very much an 80-year-old
2: man. I love country music. I love classic rock. And I love my 90s, my 90s women, basically. I love Shania Twain. Uh, I saw Shania Twain live in Vegas in December. Oh, yeah, this was before talking giants, so nobody and nobody got to hear that I that I went to Vegas and I had my excursion out there. But yeah, so I'm feeling great, feeling good. Would you care to share with us? Because a lot of people are probably you know listening to this and be like, you know, who the hell is this guy Anthony? So I'm going to ask you that: Who the hell are you, Anthony? How did you get wound up and tied up with talking giants? Uh, and share us anything about yourself that you want to share?
3: Yeah, man, I, pre- I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, I'm what very. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? No, it's it's really great to join you in Talking Giants in general, but it really just kind of started last year when I joined Twitter. Uh, I joined when the Odell Beckham trade went down. So uh, I've actually been in uh, tech and software products for about 15 years, and I decided to join Twitter when that went down because, I don't know, I was just compelled to... I don't know, provide another perspective because I was super excited about the trade. I was, it was like, we're finally going to do it. We're finally going to rebuild the team. We're going to rebalance our, our skill positions into, you know, positions of more need, like offensive line and defensive line, God forbid. You know, I thought the value we got back was excellent. And I was just hearing crazy talk online because, you know, Odell kind of did that to people. He was you know, he's a bolt of lightning, and I think we all loved watching it. It's just, you know, he also had a tendency to kind of light the house on fire if he hit it, <laughs> you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I just I joined, and it was really casual, you know, in the beginning. And then, you know, as the season came around, I was really observing, you know, how people would talk about the team. And I was getting a little frustrated because it felt like some folks were missing – some of the technique they were missing, what was happening on the play. I, you know, there was one play in the bears game where we're blaming Saquon Barkley for something, but you're looking at the defense, you're looking at the lineup and you say, I got this one's on Daniel Jones. And I I just really, I felt like I needed to point some things out from there. I just, people started to follow a little bit more closely. And uh, the reason I felt like I could have an opinion is because I, you know, I did play college ball. I, I you know, played for about 15 years. I'm actually still as an old man playing flag football. So you know, I've been in the game for about 30 years now and felt like I could contribute something. So I wanted to do that. And then over time, we got hooked up with uh, with Bobby. He just hit me up and said, hey, man, would you ever be interested in doing any work? I really appreciate your knowledge and your breakdowns. And we think you could help us. And I said, "Whatever, whatever you need, man. And then you know, I got hooked up with you guys and it's been pretty awesome ever since. So just looking to continue to to help share knowledge about the game and, and the Giants and provide my unique perspective. So that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah,
2: Anthony's doing some work over on our YouTube channel. Yeah, just in case you didn't know, don't actually think that we announced this on the podcast because we don't try to promote constantly just things left and right, left and right, left and right. But we do have a YouTube channel. We just kind of started it up. It's still the channel is still trying to get off the ground a little bit, but Anthony, you've done some very, very in-depth draft breakdowns on certain players, and I don't think not a lot of people do this for team spec, like team-specific channels and team-specific pages. Don't do this, like looking at a certain player, and you know how can they possibly fit the Giants? Or looking, you know, we're looking at Andrew Thomas, we're looking at a guy like Chaston. we're looking at a guy like Isaiah Simmons, which you've all, you know, which you've done on the YouTube channel so far, and you're looking at them through the context of, oh, you know, these guys can possibly fit the Giants, and how can they fit the Giants, and how can their skill set serve over to us and be effective for us? You know, you'll see a lot of the draft channels just break down their game vaguely, uh, but I think you going in-depth, you and Bobby having that series together where you go in-depth, these are 20- to 30-minute videos where you are watching an entire game and you're looking at technique. It's one of the most very special, unique things that that any kind of content creators are doing. So uh, check us out, Talking Giants on YouTube. Subscribe to us. Uh, there's some videos that have uh, a couple hundred views, which for a pretty small channel, I think that's pretty good. Uh, but one of the things that Anthony has really... You've challenged me. You've challenged me in a lot of different ways. And this is kind of like a good transition to what our episode is going to be about today. It's basically about looking maybe at some advanced analytics, advanced stats, advanced metrics or just looking at some stats that aren't so advanced because we just couldn't find certain things cuz finding <laughs> stats in football is a very difficult thing. Anthony and I actually before the show started, we <laughs> we've kind of we kind of went on a texting rant together about the lack of data that is present in certain sites and in certain places and it's a little frustrating as a fan when you're trying to fully evaluate the game. But that's that can be a conversation for another day that we can have. Maybe hey, maybe that's a good YouTube video. It's a good YouTube video. We can we'll rant. Just, we can rant yeah. on a YouTube video together. <laughs> we'll show we'll show how
3: yeah because it's it's sometimes it's all over the place. Sometimes it's not always accurate. I think you try to reconcile it the best you can. But um, you know there there are proprietary sources, there are public sources, all that stuff. You know it could drive you a little mad, especially if you don't know certain stats organizations how they tabulate things. Right. Uh, so you right. do have to spend a lot of time figuring out. Well, why does pro? football reference, calculate this differently than pro football focus, you know, and that stuff will drive you crazy. But uh, we're going to use whatever stats we have available to us and the context that we have about those players to help try and provide, you know, is this player better or worse than we expected? Are they somebody we can rely on in the future? I think it'll be good to go through a few of them and some of the more interesting data points and figure out how, uh, yeah, how the Giants move forward.
2: Yeah, so you
3: were describing when
2: you joined Twitter and why you joined Twitter. And I think you mentioned the word context and that has been one of the things that I've learned from you the most. I've learned a tremendous amount from you, so I want to thank you for that because you've challenged oh, thanks, me in a lot man. of different ways, which uh, you know, I I'm a I'm a young 21-year-old fan and I don't really I try not to pull the young card that often like some people do, <laughs> but I'm a young 21-year-old fan who's trying to learn this stuff and take and kind of take the world by storm here. And One of the things that you've just not only provided to me, but you've provided to the Twitter community is looking at the context of things. And I think that's definitely a strength of yours, combining your knowledge of like, you know, real world knowledge with in terms of your knowledge around data and then also your experience that you've had just playing football for so long. So, yeah, that's kind of like what we're doing today. You kind of broke it down. Uh, If we're going to put a title on this and this kind of segment that we're doing do stats match the eye test or vice versa? Or does the eye test match the stats? And we're going to be kind of breaking down some some specific players, some big players on the Giants or some groups as a whole, like the offensive line. It's kind of tough to get uh, data on you know uh, one specific offensive lineman, but what we can do is we can kind of evaluate them as a whole. We're going to split them in half, take them from the left side, the right side, and then evaluate those players from there. So, uh, Anthony, um, why don't you maybe – Introduce our first player that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about. We are gonna talk about offense first, but why don't you introduce who we're gonna be talking about?
3: Well, the first player we're gonna talk about is none other than the Saquon Barkley, the lightning rod, the number two overall pick, the Gettleman White Knight, if you will, uh, for the future of the franchise.
1: No holds bad. He was, he took me
0: in the low post and won, but I think we had on the Varsity.
3: That guy, that guy. Wow. Perfect. <laughs> um, so we looked at we looked at his efficiency metrics. So the the lower the number, the more efficient the ball carrier is, and the more he's a north-south runner. And so that's pretty interesting when we think about the player that he is, right, Justin? Absolutely. Especially when you are
2: evaluating north-south. Because one of the critiques that Saquon Barkley has had, particularly looking at the first half of his rookie year is that he was very much a home run hitter. He was trying to be a guy that was always looking for the home run, and he was going east and west. Now, was that a huge critique from his rookie year? No. But you had to kind of nitpick something, I guess, because the dude was just so good. Now, 2019, injuries present, little bit of a different story. We've talked about on this podcast before how, like, on the surface and the eye test says you know what, Saquon Barkley kind of wasn't as good as he was in 2018. And while that is true, when you look at his, maybe his pro football reference page, and you look at his 16-game rates, you're like, you know what, the dude wasn't that far off, which is crazy because the eye test does say that Saquon Barkley was really, really impacted by that ankle injury.
3: And he was impacted by, you know, the offensive line as well. I think Mm. you would say the same thing in 2018. It was a the offensive line was terrible. We wanted to go back there for the first eight games. They did solidify it, you know, in the second half. With Jamon Brown, our (laughs) savior, Jamon Brown and Spencer Pulley, right? Um, (laughs) They we we figured it out. Oh Lord, Um, no, but some I you know if you paid attention each week, he kept getting coached on making a decision, hitting the hole being more deliberate and you saw more four and five yard runs. I thought he actually carried that forward into 19. He had the benefit of Eli Manning checking off of certain run looks. And it was as simple, Justin, as you know, Eli could look at the front and see where the strong side is and see where the defense was actually slanted towards. And all he would do is check it to the right. It's the same play. He just checked it to the right um, or vice versa. And those kinds of checks would, put Saquon in a very good position and he did perform really well against Dallas and Buffalo. Right. Um,
2: and that was before that was, those were the two games basically pre-injury.
3: So then he injures his ankle and then everyone's like, well, he had a bad season because of the ankle. Well, actually when he came into the season, I thought he was, he was on an upswing very clearly. So you got to add the context of the ankle injury. But then after that you saw him, you did see him one, try too much, and he also didn't have that burst. So the combination of those two things actually hurt his efficiency. And I think we all saw it where, you know, he couldn't he couldn't stick it up there. He definitely couldn't get around the outside. You know, he was getting caught. That was pretty rare for him. And what game would you say he finally started to break out of it?
2: Oh gosh, I remember the Miami game being really good, but I feel like that was very late in the season. I'm gonna say Green Bay. Yeah, Green Bay was the game that you feel like he really kind of broke out of it a little bit.
3: And and honestly, it's you know a sprain, a sprained ankle for whatever. Everyone was freaking out because he came back so early. <laughs> he
1: was well, just yeah, the,
2: the projected timetable was, and this is something that actually is going to be uh, pretty cool about Joe Judge. Now, this doesn't mean that the media isn't going to tell us the time, a time a timetable, but Joe Judge isn't just going to tell us a timetable. So high ankle sprained four to eight weeks. He came back after four weeks. Like it was not any longer than that.
3: So from an efficiency standpoint, 2018, very inefficient in the first half of the year, very efficient in the second half of the year, 2019, very efficient in the beginning of the year, gets hurt, very inefficient after that, and then finishes off with an efficient year. So, you know, you want to see a kid bounce back and uh, our numbers for 18 and 19 in 2018, he was the 14th most efficient ball carrier in 2019 he was the 16th most efficient. So hopefully that gives you all some context that it was a, it was a tale of of two seasons but the it was almost like 2018 was a tale of two seasons and 2019 was almost right. a tale of three seasons where he started out really strong got hurt and then recovered really well towards the end. So, you know, it's just funny how that works and I don't think we can argue the offensive line was on a whole much better or worse (laughs) than 2018. So I think that that is maybe a constant in in the equation. And the only really X factor is the injury.
2: Can I also add, because talking giants listeners don't know, maybe bleeding blue listeners know, maybe, but you have to be like a really good follower of mine to really fully know this. Oh, this is good. We're going to compare this. Now, again, this is why not one single stat should be relied on too much and especially NFL next gen stats next gen is very much based on there's chips that are placed in like football players their football pads it tracks their movements throughout the entire field and it that's the data that it collects am i am i correct in saying that Anthony you are yes so so comparing these efficiency numbers and the efficiency rate again lower the number the more efficient the ball carriers and the more that he is a north south runner compare this to 2017 the season before we had Saquon Barkley my favorite number two six, who was our running back? <laughs> Orleans Darqua was the third most efficient running back in the entire league in 2016. The efficiency rate <laughs> is measured with a minimum of 85 rushing attempts. Orleans Darkwa, third most efficient running back in the league with a 3.34 rating. Unbelievable. That's your Love hero. Love that man.
3: That's your hero. <laughs>
2: I would give up an insignificant body part for Orlando Starqua, like a middle, a middle toe, maybe the the third or the fourth toe. I would give up for Orlando Starqua and Andre Brown. However, I don't think Andre Brown was as good as people remember, or at least I remember. But Orlando Starqua, you bet your ass,
3: is awesome. So that's why the efficiency numbers don't tell the whole story, because. <laughs> I think we'd rather, I think we'd rather have Barkley, but what it tells you, and I think you could actually look at game tape and say, wow, that was an efficient run by Darkwa. And you'd like to see a few more of those out of Saquon, especially when Saquon was hitting it and he was able to hit some of those inside traps and inside powers and able to actually just squeeze up and get five, six yards because he just took so much pressure off us. I was re- I was really enjoying that towards the end of the season. You could just see him have that burst back and be like, oh God, Daniel doesn't have a third and nine or third and 11 here. He does have a third and four, and we can work with this. So that transitions really quickly into what he- what Saquon faced was the eighth lowest eight-man box percentage in the NFL. So for context, Tevin Coleman faced eight-man boxes 40% of the time, and and Derrick Henry 35% of the time. So there's something that breaks in my brain. I'm sure it does in yours as well. So we have maybe the most dynamic back in the NFL, and yet he only faced eight-man boxes 11.52% of the time. Why is that, Justin?
2: Well, uh, context would tell me because the Giants are constantly losing by multiple scores in every single game, <laughs> so we're throwing the <laughs> ball. So, so that's Crazy. why, and especially especially when you run eleven personnel seventy percent of the time, yeah, and you're behind by multiple scores. This is why. This is why, Anthony. This is why I feel like it's so so effective to be not just running more out of run out of rushing formations, out of running formations but throwing more out of running formations because if that percentage, especially if you look at a team like the Titans, I don't think it's much of a hot take. I could pull up the sharp football stats right now and get the total breakdown of the the personnel grouping frequency, but don't think it's much of a hot take to say that the Titans run a lot out of rushing formations and then they'll utilize play action and they'll be able, since they do face those eight-man boxes so, so often, their passing game becomes more lethal and more effective and more efficient because of the fact that they see so many eight-man boxes.
3: That's where that's where it breaks my brain though, because instead of leaning on the back, you know, and and running an all you know a pro style, you know, where you've got tight end, two wide receivers, maybe even a fullback. Call me crazy, where you force <laughs> the defense into a base defense more often, where you will get eight-man boxes, right? Um, right. They did the opposite. Now, now, granted, they were, behind, they were behind a lot, but you remember, Justin, for those uh, – I think for the six games, they went down 14 nothing. They came back and tied those games. Those games right. were cl- – all those games were close until the, the end of the fourth quarter. So I don't love that. I don't love that argument in general for the Giants just because he could have and they could have leaned on him way more than they did. And, um, you know, granted the ankle, but, you know, I just – the way that they schemed him – and they didn't make him the focus kind of blew my mind because when Tevin Coleman is going up against 40% of the time in eight man box, how happy is Jimmy Garoppolo to be able to have one on ones on the outside and George Kittle against, you know, an average middle linebacker, you know, not an extra safety that's trying to cover him. So uh, yeah, yeah, it goes exactly to your point. And hopefully they adjust that next year. I would, I would want to see that number go up. I know it sounds great, but just purely based on the way that they would focus the offense. And hopefully they do.
2: But also you want to see it go up because that means the giants are winning games and they're running the ball more.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Which is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it still points to your point. You shouldn't have to run the ball to run more base offenses that require the defense to also substitute and put base defenses in, you know? So we'll see. But for Saquon, I think his, 2020, if we look at the way it started and the way that it finished, the way that he finished 2018, I think you can, you, there is a really reasonable argument to say that he might explode in 2020, assuming our offensive line, which we can get into, performs better specifically on the left side and up the middle.
2: What's bonkers about facing an eight man box, eighth lowest in 2019, 11.5% of the time. The Giants, now this is the Giants as a whole. This isn't just Saquon. So this football outsiders takes into account with this, the Giants' backfield as a whole. The Giants were bottom fourth of the league in yards which running backs earned between five to ten yards past the line of scrimmage, but top ten in the league when measuring running backs who earned more than ten yards past the line of scrimmage. I already mentioned that stat when we were talking about the offensive line group as a whole but that's not surprising. You know, that overall no. that Saquon Barkley is a home run hitter and he's one of the best home run hitters in the National Football League that even includes, you know, quarterbacks who are throwing the ball and receivers who are catching the ball, tight ends who are doing the same thing as well, that includes those guys. I think he's more of a home run hitter than, you know, Daniel Jones to Golden Tate is and I or, or Daniel Jones to Evan Ingram. So, sure. but that is still bonkers that, you know, you're not going to be getting that home run uh gain every single game you're not going to have that home run play every single game so the fact that we are bottom fourth of the league in yards which running backs earned between five and ten yards uh no bueno no bueno in my book
3: the number one difference that will change that is the offensive line that's not a saquon problem because you can see it when he gets to 10 he's gone that second level is where your linemen need to come off their first blocks they gotta get the free rusher, they have to get that linebacker coming in to fill. You know, they, Saquon needs to make one guy miss, not three. And uh, he was just stuck in too many of those situations last year. So it makes complete sense where, yep, a bunch of his yards are going to be from zero to four yards. And he's not going to have those sustained seven, eight-yard runs like you watch Ezekiel Elliott do all the time behind his monsters, you know, down there in Dallas. God bless more Colombo. He's, hey... I'm for him. I'm for him. I don't I, I don't know how he's gonna perform. You know, I obviously he's he was a great lineman himself. You know, he's oversaw a incredibly talented line. It's it's not hard to be a great coach when you have great players. Every coach will tell you that. You know, it's getting the most out of the guys that you have that don't know their potential or don't know where, the, you know, the level they can reach. If Colombo can do that for Nick Gates, if he can even do it, I don't know if we're bringing Jalapio back, but if you can do it for Pio, if he can do it for Pulley, if he can do it for Gates, if he can do it for even Solder, who right now needs a kick in the pants, and even Hernandez, who unfortunately had a really dismal year being a run blocker, which is insane because that was his strength coming out of college so i yeah i hope he i hope he just infuses a whole bunch of hard rock energy into that offensive line and they start kicking ass because they need to uh badly the the stats say it everywhere do you want to briefly
2: describe why you might say because numbers actually do back this up too yeah why you say that will hernandez struggle actually kind of struggled more in the run game compared to the past game and why there's some data to actually back this up
3: so hernandez had a Very low PFF run grade in general, but it was kind of matched. It was kind of matched up by the film in my mind. You know, I think everyone gives them a lot of crap. but I think when I'm looking at the film for offensive linemen, a lot of times it can be pretty simple. Did you make your block or did you not make your block? You know, did you did you help out a teammate? Did you make an excellent play? There weren't a lot of those plays you saw. I think we even saw some of them, you know, last year where Hernandez was knocking people on their butts. And I, I don't think I I don't think I saw any pancakes this year. Um, he I think he not shrug- not in the run game. Not, Not in the game. run game.
2: No, you did. You saw. You saw some in past sets where he was kind of like a blindside block where guys didn't see it coming. But I remember even in 2018 there was a play where he was pulling and like the secondary level. This was Monday night. Monday night football against Atlanta. There was during his rookie year he had a pancake, and we actually we were actually talking on the phone the other night, and I was like. I could care less about pancakes. Uh, And then you were like, (laughs) get the hell out of here. Pancakes are awesome.
3: They are the best, man. I mean, syrup, butter, the whole thing. If you are a lineman and you don't have pancake blocks, the reason why they're so important to me personally, because one, they set the tone for the whole offense, but two, it actually proves your center of gravity, your power, all of it explodes at the right time. On the defender, and it completely takes them out of the play. And you need plays like that to set the tone, and there were none of them. And I know Solder had a devastating year, and I know Jalapio had a very below average year, and I know that hurt him because, um, you know, I think in the beginning of 2018, as a rookie, he was swimming a little bit and Solder was fine, you know? Um, and I yeah. think they kind of reversed roles a little bit. And I think Solder and, and Pio, for that matter, actually impacted him. I think Pulley at center, him not being there. Um, and I know when he came back in after, P- I think Pio, yeah, Pio missed one, right? And Yeah, he missed that He missed that Jets game and Pulley just looked Played future. like, oh God, he was terrible. But I think that's, um, you know, I think that's just a victim of being thrown into the moment when you looked at how he did last year, he absolutely stabilized the line and no one could disagree with that. Um, right. And he was very helpful. So sometimes you're thrown into the moment you don't perform, but I think it does matter. These guys, it matters so much who's next to them and how well they're performing. But I think Hernandez very clearly dropped a level in the run game and at least in the past game, it looked like he improves. And I know that he worked on that hard in the offseason. Um, you know, he I think he did a big blue kickoff huddle. What do they call that? Giants huddle? Giants huddle. Love that show. Yeah, he did a Giants huddle, I think, with David Deal and uh, and the guys. And, you Kevin know, Zeitler. It was clearly what they focused on, you know. And so he, he definitely got better. I just hopefully he gets his mean streak back. That's the big thing. So Hernandez on the left side was... Obviously, surrounded by solder who had probably a career worst year in Jalapeo, uh, but it, the data actually backs that up, folks. So we went as deep as we could. We looked at how do you how do you evaluate whether the offensive line uh, in general did a good job or not, and there are some pretty cool stats that help you understand how the offensive line did, and separate them from the running back. And so, but in general, the Giants, when they ran to the left end, which is outside the tackle, the Giants were 29th in the NFL. When they ran to the left tackle, so just imagine like a power or a trap to the tackle, they were 23rd. In the middle, or to the guards, so again, imagine an inside zone play, uh, they were 26 or draw. That's another example. Those are bad. <laughs> those are those are really bad. <laughs> um, um, now you start looking at the right side of the line. The uh, when they ran to the right tackle, they were 18th in the NFL, and when they ran to the right end, they were 11th in the NFL. And the statistic factors in. How well does the line do? And they get full credit from when they can move people from zero to four yards. They are obviously dinged if the team loses yards on that play. They don't get 100% credit for the play if it goes between five and ten yards because the running back has something to do with it. And they don't get credit if it's past ten yards. And when you look at those stats around average line yards, which is a, new, a fairly new advanced metric, but it helps you see how the line did in terms of their overall push. And unfortunately for us, that right side – is going to change, most likely, because Remmers is, is likely gone. And I thought he did his best, actually, in the run game. And so that matches up really nicely. Um, maybe Saquon likes running to the right more. I did see a lot of that. I don't know if you noticed that, Justin. He, he, tend, he tend to really do well on the right side. Um, some running backs do love one side of the field or the other. It's kind of weird. Um, you remember Sean Alexander in Seattle? He loved his left side. He had Hutchinson out there. Um, it's just... You I've know. also...
2: If there's one thing that I have noticed, though, about Saquon, even when he's moving towards his left, the ball is in his right hand. Yeah. Yes. So that's... So I, I noticed that during the Chicago game, he went one-on-one with the safety in the secondary level, and... The safety almost wrapped. Up, he, he it was it was an arm tackle, but he yeah. almost wrapped him up by his shoulders. He didn't even hit him low. And one on one, he went down. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if Saquon has the ball in his left hand, he's able to use a stiff arm. He's able to use his leverage. He's able to use his strength and even punch you know punch from his legs and have yes. that strength coming from his legs. Yes. And he's able to get away from that safety. This wasn't even a linebacker. Maybe it's not even necessarily that Saquon likes running towards his right more, which he may, but even when he runs towards his left if he's keeping that ball in his right hand it's not allowing him to do the things that he can do in the open field in terms of breaking tackles
3: yeah they it's a it's an old it's an old debate in running backs you know if you have the ball you're supposed to switch it to the sideline side so you have the sideline to protect the ball so if they punch it out it'll go out of bounds right that's the general kind of rule of thumb and if you kind of cut it up the middle and you cut left and the balls in your right hand, just keep running with it. But, um, and rather than, you know, lose it in the transition to kind of switch over to your left-hand side. So I get that, but it, it does point out, he might be a little more right-hand dominant and he might be right side dominant, but, uh, I think it's more the line that you have Kevin Zeitler and Mike Remmers on the right side. That's hey, probably, it's yeah. probably the biggest reason that he's successful there. on. Um, um on that but if you don't have balance and if you can't run the ball to your left and i know zeitler's not a big pull guy also think of that too you know you got hernandez pulling to the right so you get some more support there from the left guard and so um it looks like the right side is the side that the giant's kind of built some strength off of and now they have to replace it this year but that's yeah. it on the line i think there's there's a lot of reasons for concern as we know and we all know what's coming up in the draft um, and free agency but uh if there's anything that has to improve it's their ability to run to the left
2: all right who i want to bring into the space next this is going to be our last guy on the offensive side of the ball we won't be talking about Daniel Jones. We, we we gave an overwhelming amount of stats on Daniel <laughs> Jones uh, for our Daniel Jones seasonal review. So maybe we'll have a separate episode just kind of tracking. Like maybe uh, we we even were looking at some of his uh, next-gen stats in terms of uh, just tracking where he was throwing the ball throughout the entire field. So we may have to have either a YouTube video or a separate episode on that, Anthony. That'd but be fun. I want to look at Golden Tate. I want to look at Golden Tate. This is not something that I included in the wide receiver review episode. I did say uh, a blanket statement of Golden Tate is terrible at getting separation uh, <laughs> and that's not typically me that's not typically me i don't really i don't I try not to just give blanket statements with no context and no stats behind it sometimes that's sometimes that's a critique of me that I give too many stats and I forget the context, but I've been trying to get better at that, but neither here nor there. All My we care coach, about is hot
3: takes all we care about all we care is about takes. is hot takes that's all we care about.
2: I mean, well, unlike a lot of people on Giants Twitter who criticize Golden Tate, I don't criticize him for his age. I don't criticize him for his contracts. I criticize him solely because he does not get separation. That pisses me off. Yes, he's a game game changer, playmaker, whatever you want to call he's him. He's a gamer. He's a,
3: ga- he's a gamer. He's a
2: baller, whatever yeah. you want to call him, but it just bothers the hell out of me that he does not get good separation, and that was the eye test. So what is this whole thing called that we're doing here, Anthony? Does this Do the stats match the eye test? Do the, do the eye test match the stats? And in my case here... Yes, they do. NFL next gen stats has a has like a, a metric, a measurement that they call average separation. And lo and behold, Golden Tate, ninth least amount of separation in the league, 2.2, and the least amount of separation was 1.9 yards. Now, granted, you know, just like we said with the efficiency metric that we said with Saquon Barkley, this is not everything. This does not mean that Golden Tate is a bad football player. Because you even look at, uh, I found it to be bonkers that actually lower than Golden Tate. So guys that are getting less yards of separation are Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay Isn't that amazing? For the Detroit Lions.
3: That's amazing. And they're pretty good receivers. And the the difference, I think, the, you know, they have a, they had a quarterback problem, right, for most of the last year, and I'm right. they were making a lot of contested catches, but they are also the kind of receiver. That does, you're asking them to make contested catches all the time. And I think you're asking for something a little different from Golden. Not that he can't do that, because I think he's pointing, he's pointing out the fact that he can, I he's going to make the catch. If it's a 50-50 ball for some crazy reason, he comes up with them. And that's a great thing, right? But I think we're, maybe we expected a little more space for him to work with and use that, that former running back speed um, just like on that screenplay towards the end of the year, right? Give him a screen, let him go. Yeah, Jets game. Yeah, we were hoping for that, and we really didn't see as much of that. And I at least observed a little bit slower, the fast twitch muscle, you know, movement from him. the The routes weren't as crisp. I think you saw. I think you showed a Bears clip. Um, I did. It's my favorite clip ever, woof. Um
2: specific that 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 bears clip in that bears game that i showed yeah he couldn't even shake a linebacker couldn't even shake a linebacker open space open field couldn't even and it's not even like daniel jones he was he was under pressure but daniel jones found a way to like step up in the pocket so it wasn't even like golden tate could have just given up on the play because that's where the play the play just wasn't heading towards him yeah he could have finished the route there were times last year where it was number one i thought it was effort and if you look on film it was just effort flat out a lack of effort and number 2 why can't you shake a linebacker you look at his pro football reference page and heading into the season and i guess you know uh, i guess bad job on us for not looking at you know an extensive amount of golden tape tape to <laughs> to, <laughs> to to see this yeah. but for a guy you know you can you can assume that a guy that has so many consistent years 90 catches 90 catches 90 yep. catches 90 catches and we knew that he was the Yak King, and he still is. You know, the numbers still backed that up. Yards after the catch, he still performed very well in that regard, yes, and that he was did. expected. Yep. But for a guy that has so much that has had so much success in just getting catches and catches and catches year after year after year, you typically think, okay, this guy's a possession guy, and he did not show that this year, and that bugged me. That bugged me a lot.
3: You said effort. I don't think he's not playing hard, but. There is that gear that you need to turn on, if, especially if things are bad, to make a play happen. And I think, especially because there were a lot of times that Daniel was in a lot of trouble, you know, and I think you would have you would have hoped that just, just run the route a little bit harder or just try something different this time, you know, on the route. Uh, I think he might have gotten figured out a little bit, and I also think he had a little trouble in this scheme. But yeah, no, there, I don't think if anyone expects him to be able to separate moving forward, uh, without being schemed open, that's what I thought was going to happen. You know, I don't care if he's—he doesn't have to be the fastest Twitch Tyreek Hill kind of dude. He is a former running back, and the reason he's so good after the catch is because he's got great field vision. Great right. field vision. He can—he knows exactly where to run. He knows strangely how to make people miss in the weirdest ways, <laughs> but then he scores. <laughs> he scores touchdowns, and I think that's what you hope for out of him. So I hope next year. I really do hope they find a way of scheming him open. Um, And that's a lot of it's going to depend, in my opinion, actually on Evan Ingram, because Evan is the guy who stretches the linebackers. And if he can't do that, then I think that's where Golden's going to have a lot of trouble.
2: All right. You ready to move to the defense? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you introduce this because I feel like you have a lot to say about this. I feel like you're fired up about this. (laughs) (laughs) why don't you talk about the difference between strong safety spot in 2018, or even looking at maybe possibly a little bit before maybe looking at looking at who we had in 2018 and then looking at looking at who we had at strong safety in 2019 for the majority of the season.
3: And so the number one reason I got on Twitter, as I told you was the trade (laughs) of, of Odell Beckham. Now I'm kind of a Michigan fan a little bit. I've always paid attention to Jabril Peppers knew he was a jack-of-all-trades, knew he was kind of a freak athlete in general. Uh, I knew he was going to have a tough time finding a spot at a specific position in the NFL. But once he settled into the safety spot, I was like, okay, and you could see, you know, dramatic improvement there. And then you have a guy like Landon Collins, who was all pro, and then you just saw this decline specifically in pass coverage on our team, not in Washington, on our team, and when we picked up Jabril, I was like, we're getting a guy on the up and we're letting a guy go on the down. And instead of paying Landon 14000000 million, we're paying Peppers on a rookie salary. And I just wanted to share some numbers here with you because they're rather interesting. So Peppers in 2018, if you want to think about him as just a pure cover person, the passer rating he gave up was 110.4. In 2019, with the Giants, the passer rating he gave up was 84. So pretty much everything, yards after the catch, went from 162 to 113. Mm. The touchdowns went from 5 to 1. The yards per completion went from 12.7 to 11.7, a whole less yard. Uh, Completion percentage went up uh, from 60% to 64 percent so there was a higher completion percentage but it was a lower passer rating in general so he was he was performing in the role and he was obviously doing pretty well in the tackle rate so his missed tackle rate was about the same at around 12 12.2 to 12.6 percent so in general if you look at the stats comparing cleveland where everyone thought he had a pretty good 2018 and that was the reason why he was such a good asset to get he actually had a better 2019 with probably a much worse defense. I think we all could agree with that.
2: Yeah. And something that I find very significant, actually looking at his pro football reference page is looking at his average depth of target when targeted as a defender in 2018, that was 9.4 in 2019. He was 7.3. That's pretty damn good. I mean, if you're when you're being targeted as, you know, as a defender and somebody in the secondary, And, you know, obviously yards per completion, that reduced an entire yard from 2018 to 2019. But even just looking at, you know, when you're being targeted, how you're covering guys actually in coverage, for it to be a almost, or no, over two-yard reduction from one year to the next, and it being 7.3, when what? Most, you would say most passing plays, uh, yards per attempt or yards per, you know, no, yeah, yards per attempt is what? You know, maybe nine, ten, eleven yards. It's usually somewhere in there. Yeah, no, it's pretty damn good.
3: It's it's pretty good. And now I'm going to compare him to our former hero of the of the secondary. And I really did love him as a player. So this is sad, but I feel like I have to do this because 23
2: run stops in 2018. Yep. Dalvin Tomlinson led the team with 26, and I believe BJ Hill had 21 run stops. Yep. So Landon Collins was. Pretty, pretty damn good in the running game, but oh boy, tell us, tell us the stats and how he was in the passing game.
3: The passer rating he gave up in 2018 was 113, so Jabril was, you know, barely slightly better except for the fact that Landon gave up 13.3 yards per completion in 2018. And the the biggest thing about him was he surefire tackler and his missed tackle percentage was 8.6%. So, you know, less than one out of every 10 tackles, that man missed the tackle. And that's what we kind of leaned on him for. Right. But then you kind of, you look at it and you see that his missed tackle percent in 2019 went up to 12%. So it's pretty much at the exact same rate as Jabril. And I would say the one thing I really was hoping for Jabril was his uh, tackling ability because uh, you know he, as rangy as he was, he was he's more rangy than Landon was. But he did miss some tackles last year. Uh, I think you earlier in the season you could probably pick up on that. There were a few of them, and so you know that's one that you'd love for him to improve. But there, there is almost not a single stat that got better. The completion percentage against Landon Collins went from sixty-eight percent, sixty-seven point eight, to seventy percent. So he gives. <laughs> so th- th- that's I mean. 7 out of 10 times he gets thrown at, someone catches the ball. That's what that means. So that was a guy we could have paid $14 million to to play the game. So I just thought the contrast between those two was fascinating. I know Jabril got hurt, but this one looks like from all intents and purposes is a clear win uh, for the New York Giants, at least to have this kid uh, for another year. And I hope I hope that he ascends further. Um, keep him in the same. You know, I hope they keep him in the same positions. I was shocked to to learn at his um, actual snap count, and he's still only getting two thirds of the snaps. Really? So th- that's still yeah. It's still it's still a weird thing that's that's happening. In 2019, he had 63% of the snaps. 65% in 2018. 75 in 2017. So. Dude's got to stay on the field, whatever we need to do to keep him on the field, because I think we need athletes in the back seven, and he's one of the few that we yeah. have.
2: All right, let's, tra- let's cool. transition from, and this will be probably our final guy. Maybe we can do some rapid fire guys towards the end, but I want to talk about one more guy kind of in depth for a few minutes. Anthony, uh, you and I have been fighting, I think, the good fight of recognizing that this Leonard Williams trade was not very good but also recognizing that Leonard Williams is... It was
3: bad. It was bad. We can say it was bad. We can say it was a very bad trade. There's no question about that. We can keep going. But also,
2: (laughs) we recognize that Leonard Williams, just because it was a bad trade and it was bad in how we acquired him and how he got on the team, we can't control that. But what we can control is our ability to analyze him and our ability to look at him fairly and look at his game fairly and say, you want to know what? Leonard Williams, while he was in blue, was... uh, pretty damn good and was kind of a light on this Giants defense when not a lot of people were providing light so and I kind of want you to take it away because you were really one of the first ones to make videos and to really 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 be preaching over this fact of you know don't sleep on Leonard Williams let's look at Leonard Williams he's actually performing well so I want you to kind of take it away and then I've definitely been on a, a huge tirade of looking at Williams, uh, comparing him to some other guys. So why don't
3: you, why don't you take it away? The eye test for me was when I watched the bears game and his stat line was almost completely empty. Right. And that was the game that I was like, I have to break down this because not only did he have, I think he had one or two plays that were called back due to penalty. He made, he made a bunch of disruptive plays up the middle. Marcus golden actually was just on Twitter today, uh, they showed how he was able to beat someone across the edge. One of the main things I pointed out from that play originally when the game happened was that the guy that was in the quarterback's face that the quarterback was paying attention to was Leonard Williams, who had just beaten a double team uh, to get there. And the stats kind of bear that out in general. So he, he is doubled at an impressive rate. It is a well above average rate. I think it's 67% of the time. He gets pressure pretty much on average, a little bit below, but that puts him in the bottom right quadrant of defensive tackles in general. Now, you can call him a defensive end, but I think what we're getting out of him is a two way defensive tackle who can rush the passer. He can sit on the outside, but Yeah, it was it was really fascinating to me. And you know that I I posted some stats and we we cross shared them over on Instagram and other other places. Our yards per rush improved by almost a yard after we acquired him from before we acquired him, and that is insane because that's like 500 yards. That's five football fields worth of yards after one guy came, and the domino effect for him was. Dalvin started to play a lot better even when Dexter started to regress a little bit now we didn't didn't get to talk about him much but Dalvin started to play even better BJ Hill started to play better I know we wanted to get to him Justin we don't we probably won't have time um, because BJ Hill was his own conundrum and he started playing better as a rotational player uh, after Williams came golden continued to perform and you even saw lorenzo carter start to pick it up at the end of the year so what i saw was that i did see a defense that got better when he was on the team and his other stats you can point them out around what did he actually do
2: well on a 16 game pace with the giants in 2019 now i i really want to say that you know he, he played eight games he played eight games with the team so basically cut everything that I'm about to say in half, if you really, if you really want to get technical, because a lot of people yep. had a problem that I you know, that I made this on a 16-game pace when you played eight games, which I don't think that's the worst thing you can do. It's not like I took four games and I turned it into the 16. I took half a season. And this is what he was on pace to do. And I compared it to some other...
3: With a consistent circumstance, right? So the you're saying under this this circumstance... Right, with the Giants. This is what you would project. Because it's a totally different set of circumstances on another Correct. team. It's completely Correct. fair.
2: Correct, because I, I think it's fair to say that whatever was happening with the New York Jets these last maybe two years or year and a half, it just wasn't working for him compared to the start of his career. was was not working. Uh, and not to say that he struck gold with New York... But it was better than people think, and you kind of pointed out the context and how I like how you actually pointed to individual players and see how they picked it up, but also the stats on a 16-game pace, uh, pretty damn good, especially when you compare it to some of the top premier edge rushers in the National Football League, which we won't do. We won't go into that. But Williams, Leonard (laughs) Williams' numbers on a 16-game pace with the Giants in 2019, 12 quarterback hurries, and this is all according to Pro Football Reference. 12 quarterback hurries, 20 quarterback knockdowns, 34 QB pressures, 22 quarterback hits, which is huge. Yannick Ngakwe had 15 quarterback quarterback hits in 2019 and a total of 52 tackles. So the sack numbers are low. I get it. I get it. Everybody likes sacks. I know a lot of old people like sacks, a shout out NY Giants rush. That's all that they like to look at, but in the NFL, Anthony, where quarterbacks are averaging like two point nine seconds, two point eight seconds, sometimes even less. Of you got to
3: go lower. Their yeah, average two points yeah really two points. yeah that was actually that yeah. was
2: pretty con- that was conservative on my end. You had a Daniel Jones, you had Daniel Jones in your mind. <laughs> yeah, Eli, Eli uh, <laughs> Manning in twenty in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen, it was like two point six six somewhere around there, where his average exactly. time to throw. So you can't fully expect even like top premier edge rushers. I mean, let's just say this. The top premier edge rushers, they're going to get their sacks. They're going to get their money. They're going to get their production. But solely looking at these guys by, oh, can you produce sacks? Can you not produce sacks? It's irresponsible, especially in a league where it's being prioritized more and more and more, getting the ball out of your hands quicker. And it's also being prioritized more and more and more. You know, we talked about passing out of rushing formations earlier in the show, where play action, that's now being utilized, I feel like, almost more than ever, and it's getting quarterbacks away yep. from the interior defensive line. It's getting them away from the pocket, and it's actually giving them more time to throw, which makes it harder to get sacks.
3: Yeah, the sad, the sad, sacks are, uh, it, you know, when you strike gold, you know, it's it's just the thing that everybody sees. And so it's very difficult for people to say, well, your number one job is to get sacks. <laughs> if you looked at Michael Strahan when he had, what was it, 22 and a half, sacks that's what's in people's heads when they're giants fans they said i need a guy on the edge who can do that just they're not wrong that we need that but that's not even who this guy is this is a two-way defensive lineman that can collapse the pocket and stop the run he can defeat the double teams and then basically anybody can have one-on-one coverage and that's when uh you know we won't we won't have a chance to talk about golden but The one thing I wanted to point out about him was I don't think it was that, you know, he had free rushes or hustle sacks. It's just he didn't get double teamed a lot and he was allowed to succeed. That doesn't happen without complimentary football. And you got to have guys that can really scare the offensive line in the middle. And we got that guy. And so, you know, it's going to be very difficult for fans if we sign him for anything more than, you know, 12 million, I think. People's pulse starts to raise at 12 million, and then they lose their minds at 15. Um, but this is the kid. This is a 25 year old player who's a, who is ascending in terms of um, you know reaching his peak as a player. The sack numbers that's so minor when you think about the totality of what you ask a de- interior defensive lineman to do. So uh, what you said is exactly all the things that coaches look at. They look at whether a guy can defeat a double team and free up a teammate. That is worth as much to them as a sack. And I'm telling you, from from years and years of being in a a room with a coach who's pressing rewind and fast forward and play and rewind and fast forward – the the plays that are made by the guys that don't show up on the stat sheet those are the ones that the coaches spend the most time on in the film room because it's the it's the time that they can actually get recognition so um it's that's why it's so difficult for fans to appreciate leonard williams because he's not he's not going to show up in the same way as a yannick will yannick forces fumbles he gets sacks he does all that other stuff but he also gets run over you know in the run yeah. game and so you know you You got to choose what you want. I would love Yannick next to Leonard Williams. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? It'd be great. We just we're gonna be poor and we're gonna be asking people for money, you know, at the end of the day because you can't pay you can't pay them all. So uh, that's that's obviously the challenge with him. But from a from an eye test perspective, no, not a question in my mind. If you said he didn't play well, you really weren't paying attention. And that's what I tried to share. And that's actually one of the things that motivated me to start breaking down films was Leonard the way that Leonard Williams played football.
2: All right. And really fun time, man. Justin. Really fun
3: time. Yeah, dude. That was good. I uh i anything uh anything you need in the future, if you need me to expand on uh this on the YouTube channel, you know I'm here for you. Um we could do a whole crazy passing chart on Daniel Jones. Or we can do our BJ BJ Hill film review and say what the hell is going on with BJ yeah, Hill. Yeah, we we I'm need to we, it, so.
2: we definitely I, I was I mean the question that I have in our notes is is BJ Hill. Okay. Like not even saying like, is he okay as like a football player? I'm genuinely asking like, is BJ Hill like, okay. Is he like, is he well? <laughs>
3: Cause <laughs> I was worried about him. I was worried about him because he, he posted a kind of a nostalgic, uh, retweet from his former defensive line at NC oh state, which has like four NFL oh players hey, right hey, now. Hey. And I was there. like, Oh, boy. been
2: there post, uh, looking at, looking yeah. at my film from freshman year of high school. <laughs> oh yeah. been there, buddy. <laughs>
3: I think he's looking back and we need him to look forward, yeah. you know, but um, we should check on yeah. him. We should, we should, we'll send him out some, some great plays and saying, we're still thinking about you, BJ. And we know you can be great because I, he, we need him, man. You, this is, he's the kind of guy that can, whenever something happens on the defensive line, you're like, are we okay? And BJ jumps in there. And then we want to say, yep, we're okay. Cause BJ's okay.
2: That's <laughs> a perfect way to end it. Perfect way to end it. I don't it. know. All right, man. So, So thank you, everybody, to listening to this very, very long, but hopefully enjoyable episode. Uh, Definitely Anthony and I I will definitely be trying to expand this maybe a little bit more on the YouTube channel. Uh, You'll actually be able to see our faces. We'll include some graphics and we'll include some fun things over there. And this was really, really fun. I want to thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this and if you want to maybe hear more of this, uh, let us know. Leave us a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app. Let us know that you enjoyed this kind of uh, style of podcasting where you enjoyed uh, this type of kind of going into the deeper analytics of things. We don't typically get a chance to do this because we don't really want to be too numbers heavy. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to be it. And uh, as Bobby Skinner says, let's go Big Blue.